Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. Well, my name's Stephen. I'm the location pastor of our C3 Central downtown location with my wife, Brittany. And uh, I'm Pastor Lauren and Kelly's son-in-law as well, for those who didn't know. And so on behalf of uh, our family today, I just want to thank you for your prayers and, uh, and all that. Obviously, it, it's been a week, let's say that. And we didn't wake up this morning um, expecting to, to receive the message and the phone call that we, we did. So let's continue to pray for Lauren and Kelly and, and the family. And um, we're just so thankful for our C3 community that we know we're loved and supported. And they know they're loved and supported through this. And, uh, and later, late last week, um, due to some unforeseen circumstances, other than the unforeseen circumstances this morning, Pastor Lauren was unable to preach this morning. And, uh, you know, in God's providence, I'd felt to roster on a different preaching team down at Central. So I'm so happy to be here at West today that I get to bring the word. And, uh, and I know I have a word specifically for this location and our online today that's going to impact you as we talk about the unseen realm. So Pastor Lauren and Kelly send their love, their greetings. They're looking forward to being back again soon. Next week, we have an amazing service here at West with the Youth Takeover Service where there's going to be so many youth involved in the service, preaching and bringing worship and doing all kinds of things. You won't want to miss that. And uh, looking forward to hearing and, and just all the amazing things that are going to happen with that. So we're talking about the unseen realm. What is the unseen realm, you may ask? Well, it's a realm that is unseen. There you go. We can all go home. We're done. No. We're talking about the unseen realm. I think most of us would have experienced and, and know that there's... Physical battles that we fight and, and physical things that take place. There's emotional things and, and things that, you know, we can need to get control of in our emotions. But then there's this whole unseen realm that impacts the seen realm. And has anybody had an experience where you couldn't explain it with a natural eye or with logic or your head, but you know that you experience something supernatural? Yeah, most hands are going up around here. Many people even outside of the church acknowledge and recognize that there's an unseen realm that doesn't just influence our life and our circumstances um, a little bit, but is hugely significant in how we live out our life and what we do. You know, as a pastor over the last uh, four years and as a Christian over the last 18 years of my life, there's been times where um, I've been able to for myself or give people advice that, hey, that circumstance you're going through, you need to take a nap. You need to get to bed earlier and you're going to feel better, right? There's things like that. There's times where it's been, hey, that relationship that you're in or that I'm in, we just got to stop doing that because it's toxic. And then that overcomes the problem. Then there's been other times where no matter how many naps, no, how many, uh, no matter how many logical steps are taken in the natural, those tools haven't worked because it's not a physical, natural battle taking place, but a spiritual one in our lives, a spiritual realm. So today I want to talk about fighting the right battles with the right weapons. Too many of us often 
We're trying to fight spiritual battles with natural weapons, and we're wondering why we're exhausted, worn out, and not getting any victory that God promises in His Word. It's because we're using the wrong tools and weapons for the battle. That's what we're going to talk about today. And more than talk, I believe God is going to equip some of us with the armor of God today to walk out, to step into our next battle, and be able to take ground because we've picked up the right weapons and dropped down the wrong ones in those battles. Does that sound okay? I think that sounds good. I know I need that. So maybe I'm just preaching to myself today. We're going to, uh, the main passage of scripture is from Ephesians today, chapter 6, verse 10. And I love the book of Ephesians. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He's writing a letter to the uh, believers in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a city uh, in ancient days. It's still there. Maybe some people have, have been there. And um, this was a like kind of an epicenter for Roman and Greek gods and goddess worship. There's a whole bunch of spiritual activity. It's where these two ancient uh, kingdoms met in a city and they and they worshipped God. And there's all you could look around. You could see temples to gods and goddesses and activities and priests and priestesses. A whole bunch of seen things and just as much a whole bunch of unseen spiritual activity that was taking place. And now I want to say today that the world we live in is not that much different than Ephesus. Now, yeah, we don't have the, the temples and the buildings to ancient gods and goddesses as much, but, but we have stadiums, we have clubs, we have casinos, we have money, we have things that take the worship, take our, uh, take our focus and things that we actually bow down before in this world and make a god and goddess. You know, Calgary, you know, the city that you're in, if you're tuning online, is not that much different to Ephesus. And especially in the unseen realm, There's just as much spiritual activity taking place in our community, in our city, and in our life than there was in the time that Paul's writing this letter. So so this is very relevant for us today in what he's saying. This is the people he's writing to believers that he'd uh, led to Christ or the church had grown. You can read about that in um, Acts chapter 19. You hear about Paul's missionary trip to Ephesus. And then he's writing to these believers later on in his life. And I love it in, in all of Paul's writing and really the Word of God. In the first half of the book, we see the, the why, the how. He lays down the theological implications. And then, then the last part, what does that mean for us? You see, because there's meant to be the, the gospel is meant to be preached, but there's actually meant to be a difference that takes place afterwards. We're meant to actually live different. So often we jump to the what we should do, what are we meant to do, how are we meant to fight this battle without getting the why, how, and what, which is all one for us on the cross in what Jesus done for us. Therefore, we live differently. We act differently. We approach our battles differently because we have Christ and the knowledge of what he's done for us. So that's where we pick it up here in Ephesians chapter 6, talking about spiritual warfare, fighting the right battles with the right weapons. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. Stand therefore 
having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Wow, what an amazing passage of Scripture. Now, I know that if you've been in church uh, all your life or you've been around, you would have heard this. Maybe if you're new to the faith or you didn't have that upbringing, this is a new idea, this idea of the armor of God that we should put the armor of God on. Maybe some people woke up and, and maybe you do it now and you put on the armor of God. You, uh, you go through the, you know, walking through, maybe you don't have a real armor, but you go through the motions of putting it on. I know um, Hewan's been learning a bit about putting on the armor of God. Hewan's my three-year-old son and so he'll pretend to put a little helmet on. It's just a Captain America hood that he puts on at the moment. But he talks about putting on the helmet of salvation. This is a powerful thing. And often when we read this scripture, we look at what these are. And I'm not specifically going to do that today, although last week at Central I did. You can get the podcast. We kind of broke down what these things are because I want to zoom out and give us a context for spiritual warfare. And often we jump into the details of the scripture without looking at a broader context of what's going on. And I believe that's just as powerful, powerful and relevant. So I have five points in... Um, Fighting our battles by the right weapons today from this scripture. And I believe it will encourage us today. So the first is, in, in fighting spiritual warfare, in putting the right weapons on, is that we are called to be strong and mighty. We need to know that we're actually called and chosen and able to be strong and mighty in God. You have God's permission today, follower of Christ, to be strong. You have his permission to stand firm. One of the first things in spiritual warfare is not just the belt of truth. We see here the first thing Paul says is be strong and be mighty. What's he saying? Be strong and be mighty in God. This is the first step in spiritual warfare, in fighting battles, is that we actually have an inheritance that we can be strong, we can be mighty because of who God is and what he's done in us. And too much of the time we spend thinking that we're meant to be weak and humble and small, when actually Paul here, the Holy Spirit saying to the believers in Ephesus, and he's saying to us today, hey, be strong and mighty in fighting your battles. That's what God wants for us. We can win our battles. Friends, you can fight back and win in spiritual warfare. You can be victorious. Ah, Stephen, not so sure about that. You don't know what I've gone through. Well, 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 well flipping the word of God says be strong and be mighty. And that's the permission that we need is the word of God telling us that we can be strong. Say be strong. Be strong. This is our first uh, step in spiritual warfare here that Paul lays out. This isn't hype. This isn't some type of life coach, motivational speech, you know. Um, you can go on, you can do it, you can change your world. Although, I think we're a little bit cynical towards motivational speaking and pump up speeches. You know, in some ways, that's what Paul's doing. Hey, believers, be strong. Come on. Walk stronger. 
you can take on this world. There's a reason why before any battle scene in a, in a great movie or, a, or a, maybe you've had a coach who was a great at giving the pre-game speeches when you'd go out to play a sport. Did anybody have that? You know, there's a reason why this motivational speaking pump-up happens. I used to have this great coach uh, when I was in high school playing sport. Um, I'm talking about God's sport, obviously, Australian rules football. And uh, he had the amazing ability to, to give a speech that would take us little runts kind of small team and take us from thinking that we were going to lose to going on and winning a game. I remember this coach, he was so good at giving the speech because we weren't that great a team, but he'd get there and he'd be able to motivate us and pump us up and we'd charge out onto the field and we'd take on the Giants. I remember one speech he gave, it was so amazing. Um, the, the next week came and before he even started, we were like, hey coach, can you give us that speech from last week? Because that made us feel pretty good. And so he gave the speech a second time. Um, there's I feel like we've become a little cynical sometimes towards this kind of thing. Especially my generation, we like to be like Eeyore, um, Eeyore the donkey off Winnie the Pooh. You know, anything with a hint of optimism or motivation we don't like. Well, the sun's shining today, yeah, but the rain will come out later. <laughs> well, is it going to be a good day? Well, it may be a good day, but it will turn bad again. Here, here's some flowers. Well, flowers die. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just get a little bit down. We got to, and I think Paul, in a way, is saying, hey, hey, come on, lift yourselves up. Be strong and be mighty. God is good, and he has an armor for us. And we need to sometimes give ourselves that pep talk. He wouldn't be writing this to the, the believers if he didn't think it was necessary to remind them to be strong and mighty. Do you feel strong and mighty? I know I often don't in my battles. We're in good company, if that's the case. I love it at the uh, Joshua chapter one. Such a great, one of my favorite Old Testament um, figures here, Joshua. He's just taken on, uh, Moses has passed away and Joshua's taking on the leadership of, of God's people and he's responsible for leading them into the promised land and taking over and winning many battles and, and, and he's gonna take on that leadership and this is what the Lord says to him before he takes that. In verse five, he says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the laws my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right, the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book of law on your lips. Meditate it on it day and night so you can be careful to do everything. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Even Joshua needed to be encouraged and reminded that he was called to be strong and courageous. So we need to get the mindset as followers of Christ, as sons and daughters, that we have permission, and not just permission, ability to be strong and mighty. Deuteronomy 28 speaks of God's people being the head and not the tail, Romans 8 verse 31 says, what then shall we say in response to these things? What were these things? They were trials. They were things coming against God's people. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Psalm 118 verse 6, we need to declare this over our life. The Lord is on my side and I will not fear. What can man do to me? We got to believe that we're called to be strong and mighty. Henry Ford from Ford Motors made this famous quote, whether you believe you can do a thing, or not, you are right. 
Winning our battles begins with believing we can. Okay, second point. I go, like, I go quicker when people say amen, when they encourage me. So if you want to get out of here sometime, you're going to have to be a bit more vocal today. Um, no, just kidding. You guys are awesome. But the second point is the devil's real and he schemes, but he's not as powerful as he wants you to think. This is one of the greatest revelations we can have as followers of Christ. The devil's real. He's there. There's enemies real. But he's not as powerful as he makes himself out to be. There's this idea that the devil and God are these dueling forces equal, having a chess match, and it's back and forth, and it's close. That's not a biblical truth at all. It's so far from the truth. God is so much bigger, and the devil's so much smaller than what we've been made to believe. The devil's real, and he schemes, but he's not as powerful as he wants you to think. Paul says, stand against the schemes of who? The devil. One of the great movies of the 90s, The Usual Suspects, Kevin Spacey makes this great quote, and he says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Now, it wasn't originally Kevin Spacey. Let's not give him credit. It was someone prior to that. But that's so true. And you know, I'm slightly concerned, particularly with younger Christians that I get to pastor who don't believe that spiritual warfare, don't believe the devil, don't believe evil and darkness are a real thing in this world. Because that's, that's not a biblical truth. Um, many people I, I hear say, I, I believe in Jesus fully, but the devil is just a symbol or analogy for evil. Well, the problem is Jesus didn't believe that. And if we believe and follow Jesus, but we don't believe what he believed, then we're not really following Jesus. Matthew 4, we see the showdown with Jesus and the devil in, in the desert where the, the devil comes to get him when he's fasting. First Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We see in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 that the devil is not just a New Testament thing, but these seem to be descriptions of, of Satan falling. And um, So the devil's real, is what I'm trying to say, and shows biblically. And on one hand, um, many people are not believing this. But on the other hand, and equally as dangerous, is an overemphasis on the power that he has in our life and the authority that he has in this earth. Both are equally unbiblical, and a truth in the Word of God that's taken too far and overemphasized can quickly become a heresy, something that's not true. And so we got to get a biblical idea of who the enemy is that we're facing. One of the greatest books I've read on this is Satan Unmasked, The Truth Behind the Lies by Dr. James Richards. This is an amazing book on uh, changed my life, actually, theologically, because the purpose of the book is to strip away uh, men's, like men and women's ideas, our traditions that we've made up in the flesh about the devil and go back to the Word of God and what it says about the devil. He is so much smaller than we've been made to believe. So the enemy's real. He's been defeated on the cross, but he does have limited influence over us and through a few different categories. So if the you know, Colossians says that Jesus actually disarmed and made a public spectacle of all the principalities, not just the devil, but demonic entities. So the conundrum that we're in, if Jesus won the victory on the cross and the enemy's been defeated, how does he have any power over us? You may be asking. That's a good question, to one of which I will try to bring an answer. Think of it this way, um, and historically through time, there's been 
uh, particularly back when there wasn't mass forms of communication, it would take a while for people and communities, village, tribes. Uh, I, I always go to a medieval picture in this, but maybe that just shows my bias of what I like, what I enjoy seeing the knights and armor and everything, of communities that would have a ruler, have a king, have some dictator over their land that would govern. And by whatever means, this, would, would, this king would get taken out. Maybe he'd get overthrown, this ruler would. Maybe he'd be removed. Maybe he'd pass away. But the message didn't get to those communities for many, many weeks, months, sometimes years later that they had a new king. So what we'd find is these communities of people living under an authority, living like there was an authority or a ruler or a king over their life that actually wasn't there. So they were being governed by a set of rules from a ruler, even though that ruler had been taken out and was no longer had authority over their lands anymore, but they would be living like they still did. This is so many of us with what we're doing in our relationship with what the devil's role in our life is. We don't realize that he does not have any authority anymore over our life in Christ. That we don't have to live under that rule anymore because Jesus made a spectacle and disarmed all evil principalities over our world. The enemy's real, he's been defeated, and he has limited influence over our life, and generally it's only what we give him. Three broad categories of how the enemy has uh, influence in our life, and then I want to stop talking about the enemy and start talking about what God has in our life because that's way more important and way bigger. But he can gain access and influence in our life through deception, through our agreement with those lies, and then through strongholds, open doors, soul ties, uh, unrepented sin, some deliberate occult activity, things like these, which all come back to deception anyway. Lies from the enemy, that if you do this, I'll give you that. If you live this way, you'll be more satisfied. If you give this power to me, then you will get this. This is what the enemy tried to do to Jesus in the desert said, uh, if you bow down to me, I'll give you this. If you bow down to me, I'll give you that. It's all about deception. And when we agree with the lies of the enemy, that's when he gets power in our life. Today, more than information, I want transformation in this place. And I believe that many of us have been living under lies of the enemy for too long, and we can leave today with that broken off our life starting to speak the truth of God in our life, and that is going to be the biggest weapon that we can put against the enemy in our spiritual battles, that we would reject the lies of the enemy and accept the truths of God over your life. That's what we're going to pray into at the end of today's service. Lies. The enemy only has lies. That's what we see in the garden with Adam and Eve, that he whispers deceitful words to them. If you do this, did God really say that? He didn't attack them. He didn't take over their bodies. He didn't consume their life. He whispered a lie that they agreed with. A lie told long enough becomes a truth to those who are constantly being bombarded. But we can break that in the name of Jesus today. So the enemy's real. He's not as powerful as he, as he makes himself out to be, and we can reject that. The third point is we are in a battle, but it's often not the one we think. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present dark, dark age, or darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. 
In 2 Corinthians, Paul says it kind of like this. He says, for though we walk in flesh, we are not waging war according to flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Friends, today, our battles that we're fighting, our conflicts that we're in, are not against people. Are not against other people. They're not against other people. Well, no, no, I'm in a battle with my colleague at work. I'm, no, 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 it's not against people. If we're people of God, we do not fight battles against people, but against a spiritual realm, an unseen realm that sure manifests itself through people's actions, but we're not fighting the symptom. We're going to go to the root and take on the spiritual realms in our day and age. Listen up, this is super important in our day and age that we don't get distracted fighting an earthly battle thinking that that's going to fix the problem when there's a spiritual problem taking place, when the enemy's attacking in the unseen realm. But we're so focused on the seen realm that we're, we're forgetting that his power is really only able to build when it's in the unseen realm in our lives and in our world around us. We do not fight against people. We're, we're battling spiritual forces. It's not what we see that we need to concentrate on. Often it's the unseen that's taking place. Spiritual forces in heavenly places. So if there's a person that you're currently in conflict with, a people group that you're currently angry at, a political worldview that you just cannot understand how these people could believe that way, take a step back and go, am, am I trying to focus on a, a fleshly battle here rather than seeing the spiritual battle that's taking place around us? Because we get so exhausted and worn out trying to fight the battles in a way that God wouldn't have us do that, I believe. That's my conviction. I don't know if you've ever tried to eat a steak with a spoon. Anybody tried to do that? Not, not really easy, is it? Maybe you've tried to um, build something, like hammer a, a nail in with a screwdriver. Doesn't, doesn't really work. It'd be like going moose hunting with a slingshot. It ain't going to happen if we're using the wrong weapons for the battle that we're in. Spiritual battle, spiritual weapons that God's given us to use. Amen? So I believe many of us are exhausted and worn out and not taking ground because we've been trying to fight these spiritual battles through physical means, and that can be reversed today in the name of Jesus. So the fourth thing is God gives us armor to wear, but it's up to us to put it on. God's given us all the armor that we need. I believe everything we need to step into the fullness and destiny and purpose that God has for our life has been given to us. The question is, are we putting it on and walking it out? God's armor. Put on the full armor of God. Half the battle in spiritual warfare is recognizing that we're in a battle, I think. Acknowledging that we're in a battle that's beyond our scene realm. A large part of it's knowing that the enemy's real, but he's only as powerful as we allow him to be. The rest is putting, up, putting on the defensive and offensive armor and weapons that the Lord has given to us. So, Without focusing too much here in the last few minutes on the armor of God, what, what do we see, the weapons, the defense that God's given us? Well, often it's just a reverse of what the enemy's weapons are towards us. So I think a great idea would be to go through Ephesians 6.10 to 6.20 and highlight any of the weapons and, and armor of God because these are basically opposites 
of the weapons that the enemy uses. So it says to put on a belt of truth. Other translations say, girdle your loins with the truth. I love that translation, girdle your loins, which gives an image of a Roman soldier who would uh, wrap up the, the robe that they would use, and they would wrap that around their body. They would girdle their loins and then turn it into a belt upon which all the rest of the armor would rest. The truth of God is so important in being able to pull the full armor of God on. So, so we see the belt of truth. Well, what's the weapon that the enemy might be bringing against you? A lie. So we use the belt of truth. We see the helmet of sal- salvation. Oh, sorry, we see the breastplate of righteousness. Now, we know by our own means that, that no one can live righteously. It's all by Christ and what he's done, and he bestows his righteousness upon us. This is the beauty of the gospel, that um, the great exchange that took place on the cross, that our unrighteousness could come, and Jesus, as, as righteous, lived righteously, went on the cross for us and exchanged our unrighteousness for his righteousness, so now God sees us as right. Wow, that's a miracle. That should get us doing a little happy dance. And because of God's righteousness being put on us, Therefore, we're to live right. We're to do good. We're to live out right. The enemy would use unrighteousness as a weapon, unrighteous, unrighteous actions, ungodly things, so we are to do it rightly, to fight our battles in a right way. You know, we can be fighting the right battle and going after the right thing, but if we're doing it by an ungodly means, then it makes it wrong and powerless. Breastplate of righteousness is about walking out in righteousness and fighting our battles by God's ways, not the world's. But it's a reversal, the helmet of salvation, security of our, our mind that our salvation's in God alone and we can't get that taken from us or stolen. It's faith in Him and our thoughts are to be godly thoughts. Well, the enemy will try to give us a helmet of questioning our salvation, questioning our ability, questioning our inheritance in God, giving us thoughts. The greatest battle that we fight is not in the physical, it's in our mind. So a helmet of salvation, God's way, is one that knows that we are secure in him, we are safe in him, and that we can win our battles in him. The boots of the gospel of peace, putting boots of peace on to go into battle, that doesn't really in the natural go well, but we can actually enter into our battles with a piece of the good news of the gospel that we all carry, knowing that God is good, that, that he has won the ultimate victory, therefore we can win our lesser victories in our life. Because the biggest victory of death has been won. But the enemy will come in and try to give us boots of anxiousness, of insecurity, of anger. And we want to go out and get justice. But a true warrior of Christ, Christ with the armor of God on can walk peacefully, confidently into battle knowing who he is and whose we are. We're God's. We're not the enemies. He hasn't got victory authority over our life. The shield of faith. The enemy would want us to lose faith. And let's be honest, it's been a hard couple of years to keep our faith up all the time with what we've seen going on around us and in our lives. But in those moments, that's when we need to pick up our shield of faith even more and stir up our faith. Faith has power to actually uh, not just block the arrows of the enemy, the fiery arrows of the enemy, but to extinguish them, to put them out when we stir up the faith in our life and say, 
you're not going to get me, enemy. You're not going to win this battle because my God is a good God. Yeah, I can't see it around me. I can't feel it right now, but my God is good and I'm believing that I'm an overcomer and God can work all things together for good and that I'm called to be the head and not the tail and I'm going to rise up that faith that even when I don't feel it, I believe it, I declare it and I lift up my shield against the enemy. But he wants to try to take your faith. And then the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. This is the offensive weapon that we get to not just be on the defense, but we get to stab the enemy right in his heart and cut his head off with the Word of God that slices and dices, the truth of the Word of God that the enemy would want us to question. So in closing here, I hope I've given us a little context that we are in a battle. We can win the battle. God's for us and has given us tools in the battle. And the final point is that we get to wear the king of kings armor. We get to wear the king of kings armor. This imagery that Paul's painting goes right back to a time which would have been more familiar. That in a battle when two uh, rulers would bring their armies together um, and if they didn't want to have a mass, mass casualties that day of, of everyone. They want to go through the, the battle. They would select a, a warrior, a fighter, and they would, the king would then give his armor and he would be re- that soldier would represent the king in battle. So we see in the story of David and, and Saul, when David comes down to fight Goliath, Saul wants to give him the armor and it doesn't fit. Now, why would Saul want to give the armor? We can jump to think that he just wanted him to be secure and have armor well there would have been 40,000 50,000 soldiers that would have been closer to David's size that he would have been able to find armor from it's actually because when you wear the king's armor you're representing the king in battle what an honor and privilege it is that we get to represent the king of kings and he gives us his armor he doesn't just have us make our own armor he's actually given us his armor and says this is how much I trust you This is how much I love you. This is how much I empower you that I would put the armor of God on you as a representative in the battle for the King of Kings and the kingdom of light in this world. When we know that it's God's armor we put on, we realize just how much He believes in us and empowers us, but also that we have the Lord of Lords and King of Kings weapons for use. We are not alone in our battles. God is with us and for us in our battles. And as the scripture says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? I want to finish with an analogy. I heard Pastor John Pierce, who's one of the C3 um, pastors in Australia, uh, one of our global directors, used this. And I, I love the picture he paints, because, and maybe because he's a fellow Australian as well. It works for me. But in Australia, we have these things called a bush turkey. Have you ever heard of a bush turkey? Well, a little bush turkey, these little scavengy birds that kind of come in and they eat the garbage and ah, they're ravagey little things. And to a full-grown adult, they're kind of harmless. You just kind of kick them away. They're just a bush turkey. But they can get quite big and and quite sized. And what they do is they try to make themselves look bigger than they actually are. And Pastor John was talking about teaching his little toddler um, how to stand up against bush turkeys when they come. And so he was saying, okay, buddy, what I want you to do next time a a little bush turkey comes and stands up against you, I want you to stand strong and and stamp your feet and you say, go away, bush turkey, go away. So the the little boy gets there and 
go away, get away from me, bush turkey, get out of here. And the bird's coming up to him and lifting itself up, making itself look bigger. They're probably the same size. And he's standing there, but the but Pastor John encourages his son to, to just stand strong and, to, and just keep going, go away, get out of here, bush turkey, go, you get out of here. All the while, Pastor John's standing behind his little toddler and he's in the background going, get out of here, get going, get going. You know, and this is a picture of every time that we stand strong, the Father who's standing behind us, when we're standing up and fighting against the battles that we have and the enemies that we're fighting, our God is standing right behind us saying, get out of here, enemy. You have no authority over Him. You have no power over Him. But it takes us standing and putting on the armour of God and saying, I am going to fight my battle. But we know and have confidence that God's right there with us. So in closing, if you're here today and you know you've been in a battle, particularly around the areas of lies of the enemy, we want to pray and stand and believe as a church that they're reversed today. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.